The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Welcome to the Church of Roy, a sports drink original podcast. Morning today's show may include adult language. And we're here your hosts, Brian Wilcox and Steve Ewald. Welcome, everybody, to the newest episode of the Church of Roy podcast. I am Steve Dewald, associate editor at Blazers Edge. We are firmly in the off season. But before we get into that, I want to introduce my co-host, as always, Brian Wilcox. Brian, how are you doing on this lovely uh, not so smoky anymore day up here in Oregon. How is it in, in Colorado? It's clearing up a little bit. It's been Good. nice. See, you can almost see the mountains again from town. So that's a relief. I'm a uh, dragon ass a little Steve. I made the poor choice to start the Sopranos uh, like a week ago. And so <laughs> First late, time? yeah, I've, I've just been, you know, I'm a Buckle big up. HBO guy, a big Buckle HBO up. guy, but I've just been kind of saving it. Mm-hmm. Made it through the pandemic, or you know, <laughs> sort of most hey, of it. We're, made, we're hey, in round round yeah. what round five now? Yeah, yeah I, mean, I don't I don't want to jinx it. Uh, I made it through lockdown without even you know pulling it out. But for some reason, I said you know I think it's time. So there's been some late nights with Tony and the gang lately. But ready to talk Blazers today, man. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of I'm I'm watching the White Lotus right now. I'm behind. I know the the show wrapped up. I don't think I've ever been this invested in a show early on that I still have no idea what it's really about. And, and I think that's what, I don't know. I can kind of turn my brain off, but it's still just like gorgeous. I think the score is amazing in it. So it makes the whole show for me. Still don't really know what I'm watching. Also, Steve Zahn always will have a place in my heart for uh, what is it? The strange wilderness underrated oh, comedy classic. movie. So anyway, Let's talk basketball. We have, we'll have we'll start another podcast just about movies and dumb shit. I don't know. But go. anyway, as far as basketball goes, we actually do have a little bit to talk about, unlike last week. Um, just just kind of going – I think the autopsy is kind of coming out on this offseason. We're hearing some, some stuff that went down as far as the Blazers coaching search, as far as some of the 
X or not really the X's and O's, which we'll get into, but then the nuts and bolts of it. Um, Don Staley, one of the candidates for the Blazers job, uh, Team USA coach, uh, WNBA uh, Hall of Famer. She came out and said that she, you know, was treated as a real candidate, which, you know, obviously those comments are being made after kind of how the things shook out with the Becky Hammond situation. The Blazers really fumbled that as far as what got released from that story. So basically Don Staley said she was in a zoom meeting. It was very in depth, uh, was treated as a real candidate in her own words. And then also she said, one of the things they really asked her about was that she doesn't necessarily have to be about X's and O's, but they're more concerned with how does she manage star players and star level personalities? I know what I think about that comment. I'm interested to see what what your take is before we circle back to me sure and i, I didn't listen to the full podcast it, you know i just read the articles kind of outlining it so I, I don't have the benefit of knowing what her tone was and everything but you know the it seemed to be a real positive um experience for her which is which is kind of a breath of fresh air based on everything else that's come out uh from the blazers coaching search this summer <laughs> uh as far as managing personalities more than the emphasis on on X's and O's. To me, I think that's just what a head coach in the NBA does. I think mm-hmm. more than a tactician, you're you're managing egos, you're managing personalities, and you're kind of the CEO and and trying to just get everybody on the same page. To me, I didn't read too much into it. I think it makes sense. I'm curious to see what your take on it is, though. Hey guys, it's Perry here to tell you all about the brand new app we've been using here in the Church of Roy called Spotify Green Room. Green Room is a live audio-only platform that is free to download and super easy to use. You can talk to sports fans, insiders, athletes, and even executives all in real time. And hey, the Church of Roy will be there live bright and early on Saturdays at 8 a.m. Pacific. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app in the iOS or Android app store. Get it up, peeps. I mean, for a team that is, you know, there's I think there's a healthy segment of this fan base that is maybe coming to terms that we're not in the same Damian Lillard atmosphere that we were for the previous nine years. Mm-hmm. We're, we're turning a corner here. And I find it interesting that one of the main questions and even the emphasis is you're asking uh, your coaching candidate, you know, how do you manage, you know, egos and star players, which yes, that is part of the game. But also for me, it's a little concerning because it, it does say that for for Neil O'Shea, who I'm assuming was in on this interview panel, for him to acknowledge that one of the points of emphasis is to to appease and make a star player happy uh, leads me to believe that that he may or may not have not had a very productive meeting. This is probably around the same time that you know Dame and Neil himself have talked about. There, there was some very, meetings between those two guys as far as where what accountability was and how this team was going to move forward and, and where the buck stops. And then for him, for this interview to maybe turn this way and say, you know, how do we manage this? How do we manage this guy? Uh, does strike me as a little concerning. I, and I think overall, it's just a small piece in that puzzle to me that I think it's easier to create the case that Damian Lillard is unhappy and potentially will ask for a trade this year compared to all is well, the trade demand is not coming. I, I think, the the argument for a potential trade trade demand is stacking up more and more by the weeks and we'll see 
obviously we, we've rehashed some of the free agency moves already. I, I don't mm-hmm. think the, the Blazers really wowed anybody and especially Damian Lillard. So I'll be interested to see, you know, what other stories we hear in the next couple of days. One thing, you know, with that emphasis on more personalities and X's and O's, I think it could also come down to timing. You know, you wonder if kind of the, how much, runway she had to prepare for this interview you know yeah. it would almost be unfair on the blazers part to say hey show mm-hmm. us some sets with this roster and she's kind of going well you know you just asked me yesterday if i could hop on the zoom call you know yeah. we don't we don't have the insight into that and also i wonder if sort of the first layer of a head coaching interview process is seeing what their um approach is to managing personalities and then as you drill deeper go to more layers of the you know d- second, third interviews, if then you kind of shift in the X's and O's. But I definitely see your point. It just kind of raises raises I mean, some questions about managing your – I think it's – you know, it's not something I thought about, obviously, until until you said it. It, it is important to note that probably around the time they're interviewing, uh, Don Staley and Team USA is competing in Puerto <clears throat> Rico at this time. So, you know, there there is a distinct possibility that that is the case. And it would, like you said, it would be a little unfair to, hey, jump into X's and O's and how would you use these mm-hmm. this personnel and everything. So speaking of personnel and how you intend to use them. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one. In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more, but you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. And a little bit more X's and O's talk. There was also another interview this this week that Aaron Fentress of the Oregonian came out with, and it re- it's really kind of the first real strong batch of coaching comments we've heard from Coach Billups and really emphasize defensive accountability. He touched on, you know, three-point shooting and not jacking up three-pointers. And then also what I did find a little amusing was he did take a pretty good dig at Portland as far as the previous coaching staff and a lot of the players that are on this roster now basically saying when he was part of the Clippers, they basically could exact their will whenever they wanted. They could you know, get to all their places. They could dismantle the Blazers' defense at will and just kind of really talked about what his mindset is as far as his expectation goes and what he expects from the team. What do you make of some of those early comments? Is there actually some meat to it, or 
is this just a lot of coaching cliches? Let's get into the defensive part first. So there's okay. a lot to break. There's really a lot to break down in that article. Um, just focus on defense at the beginning. It really talks about accountability. And I certainly believe that is his intent with this roster. I, I don't think he's lying or erring when he says he wants guys to be, um, you know, accountable on both ends. Um, it'll be interesting to see if he can make that happen when your two best players are probably two of your there's no probably are two of your worst defenders on the roster. And how do you really get over that hump to instill that defensive mindset, you know, within, within the team, when those guys are borderline liabilities on that end. And you look back the, you know, championship winners and they've always had their best players be solid two way guys. I think maybe the only team you could really point out is saying that they're, you know, some of their best guys weren't, plus or or great defenders of the Warriors, but they had Draymond Green, who one of the best defensive players in the league. So just with the roster construction, he, and he really is behind the eight ball there, and it'll be, I think, a season-long narrative and, and something to watch um, as far as how CJ and Dame are able to buy in on that end. Yeah, I, I think it comes down to usage for, for Damian Lillard, and it's something he did touch on in the in the story as far as – Damian Lillard is one of the like for the minutes he plays is one of the worst defenders in the NBA, and it's hard <laughs> to to you know connect these two as far as accountability goes. But we've talked about it a lot. I think a lot of Damian Lillard where, where his numbers suffer is what he's asked to do on the offensive end, mm -hmm. and that is a point that that Billups did bring up that he wants to create easier shots for Damian Lillard, where, how they break pressure and how they handle him in the half court sets where he's not working so hard to get open looks, but at the same time, like if the effort isn't there or, or he's banged up or he's getting hung up on screens, like that's something that's continually drove me nuts about Damien Lord. I love him to death as a player. One of my favorite blazers of all time, obviously, mm -hmm. yep. but there'll be games where it's like, he's never seen an on ball screen before and he doesn't know how to navigate it. And what if he runs into that? Is he really going to get benched? I, like, I'd love to see it. I'd like, I just love to see the reaction and how that plays out from a drama standpoint. But outside of the defense, the thing that did kind of strike me as weird, though, was talking about the three-point shooting, mm -hmm. about how the Blazers, you know, need to stop jacking up these three-point shots. And let's just be clear here. The Blazers, outside of, you know, some Damian Lillard half-court shots, really work for their three-point shots. And they're the sixth most accurate team when it comes to three-point shooting. I mean, they had the sixth best three-point percentage last year as a team. Mm -hmm. So to act like this is a team of chucking the ball up, it's one, you're either looking at different numbers than I am, which that's possible. I mean, the synergy could tell a different story. But it kind of feels like you might be targeting Damian Lillard again as far as he, he does take some – when those half court shots miss, they look bad. And so I, I like, those are the only ones I can really think of like chucking three pointers. Like if you want to eliminate bad shots and chucking shots, you got to get rid of some of the mid range game, which they took a step in the right direction by getting rid of some of the guys they or not resigning some of the guys they did this summer. But mm -hmm. I, I don't know. It, it seemed weird to target the three point line to me. I completely agree. And, I don't know. You hear Billups talk about how they, they want to be more physical on defense and all this other stuff, but 
lot of this stuff kind of flies in the face of how the roster is being constructed. To me, this team is going to have a hard time even staying even on the boards, let alone having an advantage. I, no matter how much it's prioritized, I don't think this is going to be a plus defensive squad. I, I would, if I was a gambling man, I would say it's probably going to be a below average defensive squad once again, just based on makeup. And so to me, one of the best ways to kind of claw back and, and try to mitigate some of those other things that you're, that you're below average in is to shoot a ton of threes. So for me, it's like, shit, I'd rather see him shoot more. If you have three guards out there who are all proficient three point shooters, I think you should be letting it fly. I don't know about, you know, if 50 is the magic number or whatever he threw yeah. out there, but you know, I, I, I kind of wonder about ways to, to mitigate some of those other disadvantages might be more threes. Yeah. I mean, you don't, nothing screams we're going to play more physical this year than signing Cody Zeller, who is made of porcelain. So like, I just like, it's not adding up, but, yeah, yeah. but, but I mean, who knows? Maybe, maybe this roster isn't complete. And if it does, if they do sign a player, acquire a player that's over six, seven, let's say, let's just throw a crazy number out there. So if they do go and get a player like that, maybe there is more emphasis on that, but, I just don't like I I get the comments, but where I, I do see it more as far as uh, coach speak, coach cliches, because what is being said doesn't necessarily match up with how this roster is constructed, Agreed. how the players who are on this roster have previously played, whether that be their strengths or their weaknesses. It just didn't line up. And I guess maybe that's why you shake things up. Maybe that's why you bring a new coach in mm-hmm. and maybe he sees something that we're so used to seeing after a decade of Terry Stotts, that maybe there is a way forward in this new direction that we're just not seeing yet. And that's why this first part of the season is going to be so interesting. It's going to be very interesting to see how fast these guys buy into this system. Mm-hmm. It'll be very interesting to see how Damian Lillard, what his attitude is like when he shows up. You know, is it going to be just business as usual and this whole trade saga has been completely overblown? Or is he going to show up and look around the room and go, this team might be worse than the team that I, you know, I was complaining about. So, or or at least said that this is not a title contending roster. So this, the first month of this season is going to be super interesting and it's going to be under the microscope like we've never seen before as far as the start of the season goes. Because not only do you have a new and controversial coach and it's going to be in the public eye again as the season gets closer. And then also you have Damian Lillard who is the poster boy of, of the tradable star right now. So mm-hmm. It's yeah, going to be a, a very dim, different atmosphere this year. If you have either one of those, usually there's a little more intrigue <laughs> for that team, right? Either yeah. a new coach or a potentially disgruntled star. You throw both of those in there, and it's truly going to be fascinating going into yeah. this year. Yeah, and then you just have, you know, a world-class a-hole running your team in, in <laughs> Neil O'Shea. So, like, it, it is. I mean, it's, nice guy. it's, you know, three strikes, baby. So – let's talk about what this team can do the rest of the season mm-hmm. or this rest of this off season. Cause obviously they only have 13 players on, on their roster right now. They're at some point they are going to sign at least one more player. Um, There's a lot of talk about trades as we headed into this, you heard it here on this podcast and a couple of names that were frequently brought up were Pascal Siakam and Ben Simmons. And unsurprisingly, those guys are still in the headlines. So Siakam at first, let, let's just get to that. 
the reports out of summer league, Sam Amick had a story from the athletic basically explaining like, there's not really a lot of pressure on the Raptors right now to make a move. One, because they're happy with how their team's constructed, even with Scotty Barnes there, who kind of is a redundant skill set with Pascal Siakam and OG Ananubi, Mm -hmm. but they're happy. And one of the stories that was kind of confirmed that, that Jackie McMullen had talked about previously is Pascal Siakam sounds like he was very impacted by the Raptors arrangement, having to play in Tampa uh, with COVID going on and this, this awkward season the NBA had to kind of trudge through, that he's just excited to get back to Toronto and there's really no rush. What do you make of the Siakam situation? Do you think there's still potential to move there? Or, or if you're Toronto, do you at least run it back and see what you got with all these young pieces? I think you bring it back. I think a lot of that was overblown. Um, you know, they had an extremely weird year. They were impacted more than anybody by by the pandemic and, and where they were playing. It was kind of a year from hell for those guys, especially as an organization that, by all accounts, is extremely well run, uh, talented, and is you know not too far removed from a from a championship for them. I think it was just kind of a mulligan year. Um, and pointing at the Scotty Barnes thing in particular, you know, you saw some talk that oh, is he kind of replacing you know what <laughs> what Siakam could bring? And to me, you know, contrary to Olshay's method of ro- roster construction, having you know two way tall people that are athletic on your team is not a bad thing. You can have more than a couple and and be completely fine you know so that didn't to me signal that they were ready to move on um i think it was just adding another type of player who's extremely valuable in today's nba while they're in a position to do so at the top of the draft when they probably don't expect to be up there again anytime soon hey guys it's perry here to tell you all about the brand new app we've been using here in the church of roy called spotify green room green room is a live audio only platform that is free to download and super easy to use you can talk to sports fans, insiders, athletes, and even executives all in real time. And hey, the Church of Roy will be there live bright and early on Saturdays at 8 a.m. Pacific. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app in the iOS or Android app store. Get it up, peeps. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I like especially with the, you know, having a bunch of tall and athletic dudes on your team, not, not a bad approach in today's NBA, especially guys with a ton of upside. Like I still think Pascal Siakam has not played at his best yet. I OJ, OG and Anubi, same thing. And Scotty Barnes played in an awkward role at Florida state last year. That guy is pure athleticism and now has some ball handling experience under his belt. Um, I'm excited to see what the t- that team can do. And, of course, you know, they got Gary Trent Jr. under contract long-term now. So I'm excited to see what that team can kind of trot out there, especially now it's kind of a changing of the guard with Kyle Lowry now in Miami. Um, the other guy obviously brought up in Siakam talk as well um, was Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons has basically cut off all communication with the Sixers from everything we've read. Um you know, had that disastrous postseason with Philadelphia and will be really interesting to see if, if he's still there. Now, what we're starting to hear now is he is, it, it sounds like he's likely that he's going to be held on until September, late September, and mm-hmm. possibly reporting to camp. And basically the Sixers, the rumors on the street is like, they're not in a rush to make a move. They're basically playing the waiting game. Daryl Morey is banking on Damian Lillard 
showing up to Portland and not being impressed with the roster and asking for a trade. And the Sixers want to be at the front of that line as far as making a move for, for Damian Lillard that might be featured around a package that includes Ben Simmons or assets that were created by trading Ben Simmons. And, and that was once again brought up in a report by Jake Fisher, Bleacher Report. Um, Brian, what do you make of, of what we're hearing out of Philadelphia right now? Well, first of all, Jake Fisher's been killing it. Guy yeah. came out of nowhere and is just knocking him down. So, well done, Jake. You're nice, e- nice seeing your name up there. Eastern uh, Time Zone, Jake Fisher. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so, some of that talk around Ben Simmons kind of aligns with some of the conversations we've had, where mm-hmm. we thought that his trade value or perceived trade value, mostly from fans and and also media, was a lot you know, influenced by a bit of recency bias from the playoffs and, and that we assumed Philly was probably still pretty high on this guy. And I think that holds true with the Harden-esque package that they're reported to be seeking for him. Um, I don't know. It'd be pretty interesting him going into camp after all the bullshit <laughs> this yeah. year where he's, where he's not texting back. But you know, I was kind of thinking about it. It's like, you know, is it really worse than what's happening in Portland? At least – at least Philly still has Embiid, who seems to be a rock, who they just re-upped. Granted, he's got some long-term injury concerns. I think he's – there's a little bit of – I might might keep me up at night a little bit if I was a Sixers fan. But you compare it to our situation, I don't know if it's that much – is it worse? I don't know. What do you think? I think, it's, I think it's worse. I think Ben Simmons is like going the full-blown – dude in college that you have in a group project that like is there goes through, like, yeah, through the syllabus and then he shows up like two weeks before finals weekends like yeah i'm here what do you need like like i think it'd be uh, more like i'm he's switching like their majors. cj though he's yeah. their cj yeah that's true where not, they still not. have mb as a temple they have harris who's a good player they have thibel who's a, probably a better young asset than any of the blazers young i mean there's some other pieces still there um portland it's like dame's gone it's red alert where philly it's like you know come on in i think just from a optics perspective and roster construction construction perspective if they get nothing for ben simmons or his value really craters they basically whiffed on almost all their process picks because markel fultz is gone they really didn't get anything for him Nerlens Noel didn't really work out. Jaleel Okafor didn't work out. And then you're going to add Ben Simmons to that list. And really you're, I mean, granted the whole process is based around, you know, you're getting that one-star player, which they definitely did in Joel Embiid, but yeah, that'd be a tough look. And, you know, I don't know how you maximize Embiid's, you know, the next four years of his contract. If you take a big old zero for where Ben Simmons is, Ben Simmons should be slotted in or mm. assets comparable to him should be slotted in. So I, I don't know, as far as what situation is worse, I would just say, I mean, Dame is at least, you know, communicating in the media. Mm-hmm. He's talked about some of the free agent signings that the Blazers did and did not make, but that I means at least he's engaged. Whereas like Ben Simmons is completely like out to lunch when it comes to some, a lot of this stuff and, and he's not responding. And I just don't know how that situation gets remedied. But I, as far as what the Sixers can do to get Damian Lillard, I I don't think it's a package that includes Ben Simmons. I think it, 
I would assume since Ben has come out and said that he doesn't want to come to Portland, hopefully you would see them try to, you know, roll in a couple teams. And this is only if Damian Lillard asks for a trade that you do this. But I would say between Lillard's value and some of the value that's on the Sixers roster, hopefully you could put together a package of picks and, and decent players on controlled contracts that you could basically reset from. But I, I don't know. Like this – this whole thing just seems like it, it might just be Daryl Morey messing with Neil O'Shea, which is not like out of, out of the realm of possibility here either. True. I mean, no matter how it turns out, it's, you would think that something will happen. Uh, you just don't see it in the NBA too often where a guy's clearly unhappy. I think there are too many agent relationships on the line and, and other things that'll help kind of move something forward. But I don't know. Daryl's kind of always kind of, Went to the beat of his own drum, and he yeah. might just say, hey, we're, we're, we're hanging on to you, and, well, and let's go. And I, it'd clearly be a distraction, but I don't know, man. I, I get back. To, I don't know if it's – I think it's similar to what we have going on here. Even though Dame has not conducted himself anything like that, I'm not trying to compare their behaviors. Yeah. It's, it's more just Dame's outweighed importance to the organization is such a big mm-hmm. deal that it, it makes it – right there if that if that makes sense no i I hear you i mean at the end of the day ben simmons and damian lillard and most players in these situations are going to show up they're they're going to you know stick to their contract they're they're going to come up to their their side of the table and and fulfill their their end of the bargain but i i unless unless their name's james harden yeah unless it's james harden or or kyrie irving taking a few breaks but yep but that seems to be a Brooklyn thing. So, so outside of those two major trades, there are a couple of free agents left that are somewhat interesting for Portland. Um, Dan Favela Bleacher Report came out with like a you know, there's a lot of these lists of who's best, who's still available. There was a couple names mainly just because they are players with some size. Uh, kind of stuck out on the list for me. Uh, one, I know we've heard this name. A bunch of times but demarcus cousins has experience with chauncey billups he is a shell of his form former self like it, the injuries have taken their toll on him but as far as you know being a third big or, or somebody you can maybe bring in in a special situation i think he he's not the worst option and i would say if portland's willing to go after someone like him it means that billups has experience with him he's been in a locker room with him mm-hmm. um Maybe that's something they rolled the dice on. I, any thoughts on DeMarcus Cousins? Is he done, or or would he would he be someone that you would actually entertain the idea of coming to Portland? I'd be surprised if he's done. I think he's probably got another year or two, just kind of as a bit player, you know, kind of similar role he had last year. It's really sad to see mm-hmm. how his career has gone. I think you know, we've talked about it where as far as multiple timelines this is probably his worst, you know, as far as the injuries he's battled. And I think he could have conducted himself a little better in his time, you know, with the Kings, but it is sad to see a guy who mm-hmm. should have been an all NBA guy year in, year out and made a bunch of money, not totally fulfill that potential. As far as his fit with Portland, I would prefer a guy who can swing bef- between the four and five. I think DeMarcus is, clearly a five only and when there's already such a hierarchy there i don't know there's kind of a lack of upside as far as his what he could possibly bring to the team just from a positional standpoint um but you know at this point (laughs) 
Just to... I don't know. I don't have a lot of I don't have a lot or... of faith if you haven't picked up on it in both Yusuf Nurkic and Cody Zeller being available for this entire season. So I am I am totally fine with a strict third five on this team. But that that kind of gets into the second guy on the list that I think we both kind of agree on is Isaiah Hartenstein. Mm-hmm. Bounced around a little bit to start his career with the Rockets, with the Nuggets, with the Cavs. Um, still only 23 years old. Uh, I believe his mother was a track star at U of O. So there is a little bit of an Oregon connection, connection there. Yeah. Um, but you know, a guy I watched at Nike hoop summit came through on the international side, a super talented guy kind of is really accepted more of a traditional big man role and he's kind of <clears> thrived <throat> in it. Um, mm-hmm. still unsigned. What do you think of him? Do you think that that's maybe a, a little more upside than Boogie, but but you're taken away from experience? Yeah, I think he might have a little more ability to play the four in some bigger lineups too than Boogie would. So I like that fit a little better. Um, he's also not a great defender, but hey, we're we're on the scrap heap uh, <laughs> timeline of. of I heard free I heard all so. you all you need is a coach to fix your defense. So. Right, it's just it's an attitude, um, but. <laughs> Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind the Hardenstein pickup. It, it kind of falls in line with other Portland moves this offseason where it's fine. Yep, exactly. Well, let's yeah. let's talk about a guy that seems to fit the Portland bill here. Uh, Garrison Matthews was a restricted free agent. The Wizards pulled the qualifying offer. He's now just an unrestricted free agent. He is a 6'5", 6'6", guard, a three-point shooter. Scotty Brooks coached him. If he has any extra potential, maybe Scotty Brooks knows about it. But, you know, Scotty Brooks, I don't know mm-hmm. if we trust his eye for talent. But uh, <laughs> a lot of shots at the coaching staff today. Yeah, oof. But, but uh, what, Garrison Matthews, he'd do anything for you. I had to look him up. I watched a lot of basketball. <laughs> I had to look this guy up. And so, uh, yeah, he does move the needle for me. Nope. We got, Fair we enough. Got, I think that's the correct Garrison Matthews response. Yeah. No that's, offense, that's Garrison. All, we, that's all I have to say. Hopefully great, he signs a contract somewhere. Great though. first name. Great first name. First name on my short list of, of boy names. There you go. Uh, and then obviously Paul Millsap, a name we've talked about here. Uh, you know, veteran presence, best playing days are behind him, but he's a guy who can get to the right spot, do a couple things. I I was hoping he would have already been on this team, but but maybe yeah. still time to figure it out. Yeah, he's he he's my first choice with what's left. I think another guy we haven't talked about, which if we go back here, is probably not a great sign. Is Harry Giles? Oh. You would think that if they saw anything out of Harry while he was on the team, they would have held on to him. But you know, what do we expect at this point? <laughs> at least he, we've seen him play a little bit. He's not, he's not bad. He's another guy who's still young and fought through some injuries. So maybe he's a tall guy we could bring into play some four or five. We, we need yeah. bodies, man. So yeah. I, we're really we're reaching. So also I think it's important to know another piece of news that came out in this last week as far as framing what free agents the Blazers could potentially go at is they did dip into a portion of their taxpayer mid-level exception to give an additional year to Greg Brown. Um, I actually really like that move. I know there was some hand wringing about, you know, why wouldn't the Blazers, you know, use the full taxpayer mid-level exception, which I think is just a separate argument. I think if there was a player that they for sure could have gotten for the taxpayer mid-level exception, they they would have done it. But I, I would assume, I would hope. But since they didn't, 
this is a smart move to make, especially with the type of player that Greg Brown profiles to be. He's a player that you don't just want to take a two-year run on and then have him, you know, hit the market early. By giving him that third year, you're controlling his bird rights. You're getting an extra, you know, run of seeing him in your system. And you have the ability to keep him as a restricted free agent and match any deal he gets. I, I actually think pretty low bar, but outside of the, the Norman Powell re-signing, I, I would say giving Greg Brown that extra year and, you know, taking a sliver of that taxpayer mid-level exception might've been one of the better moves Portland made again, very low bar outside of Powell. What, what was your take on that? Well, I think you hit on it. If there's a guy that they could have brought in to be a true contributor with that full mid-level, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt here. I think they would have done that since they didn't. I think that making that mid-level bring a little value and not just go completely unused is, is a great move. And we've seen second year guys kind of have that jump in year three too. You know, you look at Trent and Lehman and some of those guys, it took them three years as a second round pick to really become um, kind of an NBA player. And I think with Greg Brown, you hit on it, but as raw as he is having that third year is huge. I like the move. And then finally, I guess the, the move, the, 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 the big, you know, chase that I, I just continually come back to and daydreamed about is Lori Markinen. Um, sounds like he's very much available. The, the situation in Chicago has deteriorated to the point where, you know, he's not really negotiating with anybody else. He hasn't accepted the qualifying offer. Um, I think the Blazers are actually kind of in an, in a nice position. If they do want to execute a sign in trade for him, they're in position to do so. And, and Bobby Marks of ESPN kind of, did a cap breakdown of how this would work and potentially mm -hmm. the, the estimate is that Lori would bring in somewhere around like four years, 51, 52 million. So that puts his cap hit right around the, you know, that 12 to 13, 14 range. Now how that works as far as incoming salary goes for the bulls. And this is kind of a weird thing with a sign in trade like this. It's his last year's salary. It's his base salary from last year plus 175% is how high they can go. So that gets them really the sweet spot for incoming salary for them is that nine to $10 million range, mm -hmm. which lo and behold, the Blazers have Derek Jones Jr. Right in that calf spot that I think just makes such a nice logical fit. I, maybe Derek Jones Jr. Goes to Chicago and actually makes their roster or maybe Portland has to sweeten the deal with, you know, a protected first, down the road or, or protected seconds, which they don't have a lot of second round picks, but maybe they could drum some up before this trade. So what do you think of Lori Markinen? It's probably, it just seems like it's too much of a pipe dream for me, but I, I still like to think about it. And I think obviously the mechanics work a little bit in our favor. Yeah. It's a little easier to pull off than I thought, you know, going through that article. Mm -hmm. um, Markinen can fill it up without a doubt. His rebounding is concerning. And his defense is concerning, but he'd bring a lot more talent to this roster than I think Derek Jones does. And so for me, I, I think it'd be a good move. I think it just comes down to how much you'd have to kick in. And, and with some of this franchise being in flux, if that protected first round pick is still just too much to give up with, with where we are, uh, mm -hmm. for me, I'd, I'd throw one in. I don't know if I yeah. do two. <laughs> you know, yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't do two. I'm just gonna no, go out. No, hard and, pass and, on and two. It, and it'd have to be pretty heavily protected. But marketing can put the ball in the hoop, man. So mm -hmm. 
uh, still young and the bulls have kind of been a weird organization too. So it'd be interesting to see what he could do in a different, different environment. Yeah. I, I, I do want to give you credit. It's something that we talked about when marketing was coming out uh, of Arizona into the, into the league, as far as you did, you, one of your main gripes about him was, I don't know how, if this guy can stay on the floor defensively. And, and that has definitely been the case in a lot of situations. And we've never really seen him in a playoff setting in a high pressure situation, but I would assume that if he is on the floor, he's going to get pick and roll to death, especially in a, in a clutch situation. So he's a weird guy. Cause he, you know, can't, he's not quick enough to hang with fours, but he's not big enough to bang down low with fives. And so, yeah. but if he were to come in and play, I kind of wonder where he'd slot in too, right? He'd probably have to play that backup four mm-hmm. with Zeller, but that'd give you some scoring punch in the front court coming off the bench. I think he'd probably see a lot of minutes with Zeller being, you know, missing <laughs> half the season or yeah, whatever. So yeah, yeah, but yeah I don't know. Who who knows on that front? I I think it's definitely. I think of all the players left out there, I think he has the most upside and the most potential to really positively impact this team. Now, whether or not the Blazers pursue that or they wait closer to the deadline to make a move like that that's another question i agree um right before we recorded summer league wrapped up the the blazers team you know this very storied experienced veteran summer league team uh kind of fell flat on their face here at the end here in vegas uh three straight Mm -hmm. losses um some of these older guys uh, michael beasley kenneth reed looked a little washed um not surprising for guys who've been out of the league for a little while um, what was your biggest kind of couple takeaways from the summer league or is there anything to take away from it? Um, my biggest takeaway was that, you know, the fact that Nas little did not play mm-hmm. is probably a pretty good sign that, you know, that they pulled him out before they said, Hey, we've seen enough. You look good. You look like an NBA player. That was the most important thing for me. It's summer league. CJLB looked bad. Um, Greg Brown looked athletic, which we expected, but it's summer league, man. And I don't think it's really an indictment on the organization or the coaching staff that they didn't take home the hardware this year. No, I, I agree with you. I, on the CGLB front, it was a rough look. Um, I don't really know what he does at the next level. And this is something I said on draft night. Um, I had a lot of people text me on draft night. People are pretty plugged in around the league. They kind of said the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of drank some of the Kool-Aid as far as when I did look at some of his just as raw accounting stats and what he was able to do across the board at Washington State. He definitely did a lot of things well, but I just don't know if he can really hone in on one clear-cut role player. This is a skill that sets me apart from everybody else. Mm-hmm. I mean, 26 minutes a game in summer league. points per game, but 27.7% from the field, 14.3% from beyond the arc. Like that is just not what you want to see from a wing player, especially a second year guy who spent a full year in an NBA training camp. Like that's, that's pretty tough. No, those are tough numbers to look at. Um, And even with, you know, it's a small sample size. Mm-hmm. You know, you're all, he's in a cold shooting streak, but he just didn't impact the game either. He didn't, mm-hmm. he didn't look like he didn't stand out as, as an NBA guy. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's fair. Um, as far as Greg Brown goes, I, he is super athletic and I think Very he has a little time. bit, he has a little bit more touch and feel as far as getting downhill and around the basket and rebounding. 
He has a little bit more feel for the game than I thought he was going to have, or, or at least kind of what the numbers said and some of what his tape indicated at Texas. Mm-hmm. He, does, he does have a nose for the ball. He will go up and win those 50-50 balls in the air, a lot like you know a, a really good possession wide receiver in the NFL almost. Like he, he positions his body well, uh, shields – shields off defenders and really goes up and gets the ball and can finish above the rim. Like if he can put together a few other parts of his game and dial in some of the efficiency stuff, I think he's, I think he has a good shot of really, you know, carving out a nice little role here in the NBA. Yep. I think he can stick and he's got three years to show it. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm glad the players have him in the pipeline. Now I've kind of come around on him a little bit. Mm-hmm. Same with me. Same with me. I think that's all we have. I mean, this is a very long off-season edition of the show, so thank you for sticking with us to the end, assuming you guys made it to the end. Um, appreciate everybody, as always. Brian, you got anything before we head out of here? Uh, just finished season two of The Sopranos. No spoilers, please. <laughs> please, uh, just tell Brian everything that happens in season three. No. Don't do uh, it. Excellent show. Um, same with me. of two, two, three episodes into White Lotus, so I, I don't assume I'm going to get too many spoilers online for that. So. You might. Don't, 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 don't look around. You'll, <laughs> don't you'll jinx it. <laughs> you'll find something. All right. Also, too, um, my daughter, super into, obviously, musicals and animated shows. Uh, Vivo on Netflix, very quality kid show. I, I think there, there's a lot of stuff in there for adults as far as the music goes. There's some really good stuff in there. So if you are a parent, you're looking for something to watch with your child, I, I recommend Vivo on Netflix. So there, there's my movie pick of the week. Dad Steve, coming in with the tips. <laughs> All right. Good night, everybody. Thanks, Perry. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Church of Roy podcast. If you like what you've heard, go ahead and subscribe to the show wherever you download your podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Church of Roy Pod, and be sure to check out our live show on Spotify Greenroom every Saturday, bright and early at 8 a.m. Pacific.